Welcome to the Rusted Garden Homestead Podcast. My name is Gary Polarczyk and I am the content creator for the Rusted Garden. This podcast is all about vegetable gardening, growing, tending, harvesting, cooking, and sharing it all with family and friends. I'll have guest co-hosts, I'll do listener Q&A, and generally ramble on about growing food in any size, space, and place. Start small, learn, and expand when you are able. Welcome to the Rusted Garden Podcast. Today's episode is a little bit about fall chores, but really about prepping your beds and containers for the winter, kind of putting them to sleep. We're also going to talk about making soups, one of my favorite ways to use garden produce. My guest today is Erica Jones. How are you doing, Erica? Hey, GP. Hey, y'all. Hey, I'm doing pretty good. So this is episode four, and I hope that you're still having fun with the podcast. I'm having a wonderful time. It, it really is a great opportunity for us to like just take a minute, sit down, and talk about like our most favorite things, and that's gardening and food. Yeah, and I, th- I think I agree. There's not a better way to enjoy the day, enjoy the week, than to find people that have a like passion, like interests, and, uh, well, you know, that both you and I can talk for hours about <laughs> growing <laughs> stuff in the dirt, so we're, you know, we're the same with respect to that. My goal for the Rusted Garden uh, Homestead Podcast is two episodes a month. They're going to come out every second and fourth Wednesday. Now, for people that haven't listened to the first three podcasts with you, Erica, could you tell them a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Erica, and uh, I am a, I mean, it's, it's a, a long line of, of things that I do, but basically, I have a deep, deep passion for culinary education in my community and, you know, growing food and having that sustainability piece to your life that really allows you to anchor in and feel good about like the food that you're eating and the community that you're in. And um, it's just my joy and passion. And I've just decided to, to kind of take that and run with it and do all of these different things that I love doing and, and teaching the world about it. And when you talk about teaching the world, I mean, from knowing you for, I don't know, I don't even know how many years it's been, three years, maybe four years, you are really teaching. You're teaching in schools and different programs, so you're teaching kids. You're working with uh, adults, young and old, um, anywhere in, and we live in Howard County, anywhere in Howard County, Maryland, that somebody could show up to talk about food, cooking, or gardening, we might find you there. Is that fair to say? (laughs) Yeah, I, I have a term I, I call it like in these farming streets or in these dancing streets or in these cooking streets because I am I wear a lot of hats, but it is just I really think that if you can fill your life with the most joyful things, you live a much healthier life. And, you know, it, it at you know, my young ripe age of 44, it, it feels really good to to anchor into that and just try to really live that way and be an inspiration to others to do the same. It's important. If you can't do it 24-7, at least getting several days of doing the things you enjoy into your life, I think is really, really important. Over the last couple of episodes, we talked about cool weather crops. Um, Many gardeners have plenty of time to listen to those podcasts, get those cool weather vegetables in. I know that I'm going to be planting through October. I'm going to even try to do some winter gardening here in Maryland now that it seems we still get freezing winters 20 degree nights and stuff like that but it tends to be a little bit warmer so I think with some protection I'm going to be able to grow through the winter and we'll be doing a podcast on that it's also the time if you don't want to grow what do you do 
with your earth beds or what do you do with your containers? And that's sort of a big fall chore is getting your beds ready. Let me give you a pop quiz real quick. How many ways are there to amend beds or containers at the end of the season? Ba-da-ba. A gazillion. <laughs> give, or, give or take. Yeah. Um, and it's real, like not, it, we can get caught up in like, okay, I've got to like do this and then do this and do this. No, it's really just thinking about, all right, uh, do I want to have, if I'm looking at my garden, I myself personally can see areas within that need my attention, where whether it's picking up all the like piles of rubbish that I have not taken down to the compost bin or, and no, I just told it myself that I'm lazy, um, or <laughs> that I have, you know, piles of um, seed trays that need to just get like picked up, stacked away, you know, creating open space so that I don't invite those, you know, our nature friends who are looking for a warm, cozy place to hibernate and overwinter. And I think I wouldn't call you lazy because <laughs> I actually talk a lot about that. People or gardeners tend to love watching the stuff grow and harvesting, and we will push everything else to the side. But you're right. You eventually have to get to that because the nature that wants to move into your seed trays or stuff that you're leaving out are usually stuff like snails and slugs or overwintering insects that are going to, you know, probably do some damage to your garden. So certainly clearing that space out um, makes a difference you basically don't give them homes to overwinter and we'll be talking about moles and voles in a little bit setting up the soil i think people do get overwhelmed like i personally get burned out july 15th to august 15th when the heat of the summer comes so my garden gets overgrown luckily it's back in shape cool weather showed up so to speak 55 degree nights 70 degree days I want to plant my entire garden with fall crops, and I'm actually could probably end up doing that. But some of the beds I need to get set up for next year, and wanted to really talk about that because I think new gardeners feel like there's always a specific, exact way to prep beds. And like you said, there's a gazillion ways to do it. So let's just start with the gold standard, if you're able to. And I always wonder, like, what kind of you know YouTube channel would I have or podcast would this be if I just said everybody just use compost? End of story. You know it's true, but we all can't make tons of compost. As you get more experience, or you get more space, or you make compost at a friend's house or something, yes, compost is gold. It's the best thing for your garden because it gives soil life. Yeah. Um, and like, if we break down, all right, what is it? It's organic matter that is decaying. All right. What is organic matter It's nature, it's leaves, it's twigs, it's, you know, old, old, anything that was ever like a plant that is breaking down is now almost compost. So even if you don't have finished compost, I have even created, I've had, um, you know, new gardeners start their bed in the fall. They can decide if they want to do a raised bed or in ground. And then just start layering in the area that you want to have a garden, leaves. Okay? Just put your leaves there. And then put your food scraps there. And then put some more leaves there. And just keep doing that. And I, But come spring, now you have a beautiful bed of compost. Because it had all that time to break down over the winter. 
Yeah, and you, it's so important just to kind of do what you said. Worst case is it doesn't break down, and you maybe you put it on your raised bed or you put it on um, an earth bed. I got confused for a second. Just real quick, earth bed would be anything that is earth level. Raised bed is usually when you build sides up, you know, 8, 10, 12, 17 inches taller. They both take in wonderful soil life. Worms get in there. They're kind of, they're very, very similar. But when you're layering stuff on top there, we'll be talking about that. Worst case is it doesn't break down and you just rake it to the side. You can plant and you can rake it back over or you can move it to somewhere else. You can do the same thing you're talking about too, just in a pile, which will be your future compost pile. Maybe you don't use it this year. Maybe you don't use it next year. But if you just get into the habit of layering, as you described, in some pile in your yard, it is going to turn into beautiful compost and you will have a lot of it. And not only is it great for the soil, but it saves you so much money. So much. So much. It like, I mean, it's almost time when these leaves are going to start falling and then our neighbors are raking up the leaves and putting them in their bags out for rubbish. And I am just like, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me Mm -hmm. because you're taking away the most amazing free resource to make compost i mean the tree does it by itself leaves drop those leaves decay goes into the roots food and it starts all over again so essentially we're taking away our forests i mean the forest floor is exactly that process yeah and that's kind of i mean and i always like double-check myself to see if I'm kind of perpetuating any complications um, with gardening in my YouTube channel and stuff like that. And over the, you know, 15 years I've been doing the channel, you know, 25 plus years that I've been gardening, I do change. And I find, and a lot of people end up there, I end up at the forest floor. Nature's already doing it. Why do we tend to overcomplicate things sometimes with exact measurements and ratios and processes? It's Mm -hmm. just getting the leaves in the pile and let them break down and getting them into the bed. And it doesn't, it can sit on the bed just like the the forest floor. There's Mm -hmm. just so many ways that we can, I don't know if overcomplicated is the word or even overwary is the word, but overspend. (laughs) We can spend so much money on these ingredients here and there and tweaking our beds that we go broke so to speak in that what we're getting in the savings from the vegetables although we get get great nutrition we're overspending just cut lawn and leaves will give your garden beds everything it needs forever yeah it's that simple and it's amazing i mean i like to call leaves like the blanket Mm -hmm. so i'll put a nice good like four inches of leaves on top of my raised beds in my community garden plot it is the most beautiful beautiful stuff that i see come spring when i scrape those leaves aside it's rich it's dark it's earthy it's there's worms all in it it is like the best and then you're it's just ready and open for your radish seeds and your lettuce so it it really is advantageous to just take a little bit of time an afternoon and, and just get that started in the fall Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, if you have a certain strategy for um, putting your beds to sleep, and you you kind of just gave one, um, and it it really just summed up what we talked about. Putting down the leaves, they might not break down, 
But underneath, you get the beautiful worms. They're eating the leaves. They're leaving castings behind. They're crawling up and down the soil. Stuff is getting blended. And exactly what you said, move the leaves to the side and you can plant. That's all you have to do. You can put the leaves back. You can stick them in a wheelbarrow. You can take them to your compost pile. And maybe that's the theme that we can kind of stress, you know, for today's cast is simplicity and just getting that organic matter out there. Real quick, I mean, things we can do in any combination. We can add compost, leaf compost, uh, freshly uh, shredded fallen leaves, a couple inches of grass clippings or lawn clippings. I don't grow grass anymore. I just grow lawn. Um, We can cover the beds with a quick sprinkle of organic granular fertilizer. We can buy stuff uh, in bags from stores. We can spread that out on the beds. We can just literally do so many different things and just let it sit on the beds and bring back life. But I do want to stress again, the organic matter is more important than any fertilizer because we can always add water-soluble fertilizer next year. We can add in fertilizers. It's organic matter that's the key. And if you think about it, okay, in like basic terms, if I want to go to bed for the winter, what do I want? I want a nice meal and I want a blanket and I'm going to go night night. And hopefully we'll talk about this later, but hopefully one of your beds has garlic in it because there's, you, you really should have some garlic in there if you have cool, cool winters. Well, we, and well, you know, I mean, garlic, we can t- take a minute to talk about that. I don't, we don't need a whole podcast on it, but we almost do need a full garden full of garlic. That is <sighs> going to take us when we start talking about soup sh- shortly. Garlic is great to add into your soup, and it's not that hard to grow. And October is about the time, at least here in Maryland, in most areas, that you start putting in your hardneck garlic cloves, and you just let them go. Oh my gosh! It like I can't. It's the best feeling of the fall for me. I can't wait. You know, I take half of my harvest from the summer, and I keep it cool. And that's my seed garlic, if you will. And I'll take, I'll break those cloves apart and plant them. Ah, oh, you guys, you must grow your own garlic. There is no reason not to. And the flavor, I mean, just the, the opportunity to have something that fresh that you grew by yourself. And it, it takes zero really effort besides getting it planted and just keeping an eye on it. But it's just, it's, it's I think for beginners, one of the best plants to like start growing. And it, it is sort of that easy. Now, Truth be told, maybe you don't get a huge bulb of garlic, but you're going to get something. And even if it's small, it tastes wonderful. Even if you get more greenery than, you know, a bulb, you can use the greenery too. I use it all the time early on. I cut leaves off. I chop it up. They go into scrambled eggs. They go into maybe some sort of saute or stir fry. And they definitely go into my soups. Just like a, just a drop, like at the end, once your soup's nice and hot. You just slice them real thin and drop them down. It gives that fresh, like oniony, garlicky topping, you if you will, to the soup. And mm, 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 love we're, it. We're gonna roll into the soups, but I just wanted to point out something because it took me a while to learn it. If you're putting in stuff like the greens from garlic, or you're putting in different herbs, and I think you would agree with me, but correct me, I'll default to you all the time when it comes to cooking. 
that you don't want to put the herbs in way early or they just boil away. The oils evaporate, things can get bitter. So a lot of your herbs are best put in towards the end of your dish when they're still vibrant, full of flavor, and then you can get the best value out of them. It's what we call finishing, when you want to finish the dish with that just bright, fresh, like when you think about that, that fresh, it's always typically going to be green, uh, which means it's herbs, and herbs, their oils are so just pungent and ready to just go into your senses, and when you take that first bite, that you smell them, and it's an experience, y'all. Yeah, I, 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 I don't get tired of the smell of garlic when I'm cooking. <laughs> When you're putting your beds to rest, you talked a little bit too, like a blanket. Definitely the leaves is a way to put a blanket down. You could put a tarp over your beds. I've done that with leaves. Make sure it's moist, keeps it dark. Sometimes the decay happens a little bit quicker. If you have soil that's heavy clay, there's nothing wrong with turning your soil. There's a big difference between putting your shovel in the ground, flipping it over once. You're not going to wreck your gardens. There's a lot of fear that you can't dig or there's no need to dig or don't dig. I have a no-dig garden. It's wonderful, but it's used for a specific purpose. If you're just going to turn your soil once, that's fine. A lot of times you'll hear that tilling destroys soil life, and it does. It's when you get a big power tiller, you're tilling down a foot deep, and you're grinding everything up, and you're just destroying everything, including worms. That's not good to do, but I don't want people to fear turning your soil. And you may have to do that for a couple of years to kind of loosen up your clay soil. But you could put your stuff down. You could put a tarp over it. You could turn it over once. There's just so many ways that you can do that you can set up your earth beds. The key, again, nutrients is always important, but it's that organic matter that if any people take anything from this, you can always throw down organic granular fertilizer. You can always put down water-soluble fertilizer. That doesn't really provide organic matter it feeds the soil a little bit but you must have the organic matter Mm -hmm. that's kind of like i kind of think of that as like the multivitamin if you will the granular fertilizer just to help um supplement but it is it's it's just organic matter and um that's going to look different depending where you are in the country. Like what is your largest resource on the East coast? We have a lot of forests, so it's going to be a lot of leaves, you know, um, on the West, it might be more leaves from the palm trees, if you will. So really just finding what is in excess of, of nature and use it. And if that comes to, you know, I get it. We'll be talking about listeners questions. This is going to be one of them. I think, People ask me, is bag compost good stuff? And the answer is, I don't know. When you make your own compost, you want it to finish out. You want it to be like 90% done. That means it's all broken down. The bacteria is done doing its thing, and you just have goodness there. When you're buying bagged compost or manures, there's no rules that define what compost is. So a bag could say composted manure or composted X. But it it doesn't tell you how far it is in the process of breaking down. It could be organic matter that you that kind of like you just almost cut from your lawn, threw in a bag, and you're selling it as compost. That's not broken down. So you never know what you're buying. And the issue is, and this is why fall's a great time to use bagged compost or bagged manures. So the issue is that you could buy a bagged compost and it's not fully broken down, it's still in the process of decaying. You put it in your spring bed. You're all excited. You think you've spent um, 
you know, you've spent good money on compost. You think you've set your beds up really well. You put in seeds and transplants and everything is stunted. Your transplants turn yellow. They're not thriving. And the reason is, is that bagged compost is still decaying and it's actually taking nitrogen from the surrounding area to feed the bacteria to break the compost down, which means it challenges your seeds, your seedlings and your transplants for nitrogen. And it's a mess. It's pretty common. It happens a lot. Any bag compost or manure, throw it in your garden bed now. Spread it out. You get a good five or six months, and it'll have time to break down. Yeah, and like if you can, like start with your local um, municipality, and do you have a composting system in your county? Here in Howard, we do. We can go and get compost from all the leaves and shrubs that people are putting out on their curbs. It goes back to a processing center and get processed. So if you can get more local to where you live, you'll find better products. Yeah, absolutely. I know here in Howard County, um, they make wonderful compost. In Montgomery County, one county over, they make a bag product called Leaf Grow, which I use all the time. Both places are certified for making compost, so it's great stuff. And, you know, actually the next section is um, the uh, for your information and garden tips. So this would be one tip is kind of looking exactly like you said locally, getting to know that product, getting to know that company. And once you find a great product, you stick with it and use it. And that's the best way to protect your garden. But more importantly, best way to spend your money and get something of value. Another tip I have, especially for places like Maryland, we get real winters, which means freezing temperatures. You can't really garden really late November, December, January, and February. So all the garden products go on sale at the big box stores. Home, uh, yeah, Home Depot, I almost said uh, Hose, <laughs> Home Depot and Lowe's, and Walmart. And you can find stuff at a huge discount. I know that Walmart will put bagged soil products, all kinds, on sale for a dollar. And they're usually anywhere from 7 to $12. I've gotten 27-pound bags of fertilizer for $2 at Home Depot. So if you're in a place that get, gets winters, really about now when the Christmas stuff starts coming out, Halloween stuff, start looking for sales. And you can save literally a ton of money. Do you have any tips or anything you'd want to share with people? Well, I mean, this one might be like more of like a little, I think it's a tip. You know how, you know, sometimes the things that we want for our gardens can be a little pricey. And I think it's a great idea to kind of start taking inventory of those things that you had your eye on and maybe you did not get and put it on your wish list for your holidays so that people can get them for you. I do that with cookware and garden stuff all the time. So just kind of think about that um, because you deserve it and that way you can get all the things you want. And I I would add to that too. Usually the pricier things are better quality. So it's much, I think, it's a greater value to you that if you spend up on something that is a better quality, it's going to last five years, seven years, 10 years. So you divide that cost out over the years versus buying something that's cheaper, that's going to decay or crack or break and then having to replace it often. So I would agree with you 100%. Yeah, there's a lot of janky stuff out here, and we'll talk about that in the spring as they start, really, the marketing starts getting heavy on the gardening. But Yeah, marketing 
looks great on the package. We'll talk about practical <laughs> use. So a phrase that you often use, I don't know if you notice it, but you always say growing and cooking happiness. Can you explain what that means to you or you know, help listeners understand what that is? Yeah, I mean, I think just as I've gotten older, I've just really paid a lot more attention to the things that I do in my life and how I feel about them. And, you know, we always talk about how gardening really can bring out um, a feeling of connectedness to nature and to each other. And when you then take that that fruit, like you maybe it's your first year and you grew your first cherry tomato plant and you, it was abundant and you're just were in like cherry heaven. Now you get to take those cherry tomatoes inside and do something with them. And to me, if you enjoy cooking, it it's an extension of the garden happiness. You're bringing that now into the kitchen. You're using them in all these different ways that, you know, your mind can just be so creative with what you do. And then you can share it. And I just think that whole experience, like from seed all the way to sharing and enjoying that food that you had a hand in is one of the most joyful things and healing things that you can do for yourself. So um, in a nutshell, that's what it means to me. And I think a good example of that is we had, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, we had people over from Freetown Farm, kind of a homestead gathering for board members and employees. And one of the employees who kind of joined Freetown Farm through the Nourishing Garden programs, which we'll talk about in the future, but she learned the skills to garden. And she brought um, a dish all made from her garden. And she was walking around saying, hey, this is for my garden. And she was kind of laughing at herself saying that she always wanted to do that. She just had fun saying, look what I grew, look what I cooked. And she was sharing it with everybody. And she just had a wonderful time. It's a feeling, y'all. It's, it's, it's an experience not to be missed. So one of the things that make me happy is soup. I make soups all the time. I know as you are guest hosting on here, we really want to bring in the cooking happiness. So let's talk about soups. Like where would you suggest people get started um, with the first pot of, you know, garden soup? Uh, well, you're likely going to be in abundance of tomatoes, eggplant, and peppers. It's you know, even though we're talking about fall, those fruits are still very much ripening, and as they're coming into an end, we're getting the last kind of bumper crop. So, just a like I think the tomato soup. Listen, tomato soup is a grilled cheese sandwich. Mm, they're oh so good. And it's, you know, soup is, is a beaut it's quick. You can make anything into a soup, really. But it's a fast way to, you know, gather in all those nutrients, taste the true flavor of the, of the vegetable or fruit, and um, really easy to do. It's one pot, and there's so many different ways that you can take soup. But I think to start, if you were beginning, just start with a tomato soup or just a wonderful vegetable soup with all the vegetables that have come out of your garden. And I cook, I mean, I don't really follow recipes. And I think the same with gardening is it's important to get kind of the structure to help you get started while you're kind of building confidence. But there are some, you know, basic, I think, principles to soup 
making or, or building the soup, as I like to call it. So I don't make stock. We talked about that, you know, in the last podcast. Stock is a wonderful way to add flavor to your soup. I start with really chopping up onions. Um, I really put the garlic in later, but maybe dicing up carrots really small, celery, kind of just heating it up and sweating it, usually with olive oil, even though that's a, maybe that's, I think, a lower temperature oil, but I'm not, you know, I'm not bringing the heat up really high, but I just sweat out the flavors of the the onion, the celery, the um, carrots, and that, then I add water to it, maybe I'll add some stock to it, and that creates the base. So I do all that first before chopping up and adding in the other vegetables. Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. Um, it's, you know, you're like you said, we're layering and building flavors as we go. So your first layer is going to be what we call the aromatics. It could be celery, onions, a few herbs. It could be garlic. Like you said, garlic has a tendency to burn quick. So what I like to you to do to still get that garlic flavor, I will make a garlic oil that I just make a big batch of it, put it in the fridge, it's there for ebbs. And then as I go to do my sauteing or my sweating, I'll use that to kind of start that base. So I'm getting that garlic flavor in while not using fresh garlic quite yet so that it does not, like you said, that doesn't burn. Um, but that's what you're building is the aromatics. And there's a term mirepoix, which is French um, for having, it's celery, onions, and, and carrots. Like that's like the classic mix. Those are your aromatics. You throw that in, sweat them down. Then you want a second layer would be if you've got vegetables that are going to take longer to cook, like your carrots or your potatoes, those denser vegetables, you put those in. And then now you're cooking those with your mirepoix. And it just starts to build. And maybe you'll throw in a little bit of salt and pepper and maybe some bay leaf, depending on where you're going. Um, Now, I would encourage you, GP, to make a stock. It doesn't have to even be chicken stock. It can be vegetable Mm -hmm. stock. Take your scraps. Just make that stock. Put it in the fridge, and that way when you're ready to go make a soup, you have that beautiful, rich, infused vegetable flavor that really, really does elevate your soup. And the other thing with, like when you're doing, when I'm making tomato sauces, you're, you're doing a reduction, and you're taking a volume, a greater volume of you know tomatoes, and you're shrinking it down. I don't salt or really season that, because when you're doing a reduction, all that seasonings get to concentrate but when with the soup you're adding usually liquids and stuff to it and you're building it up so i do salt as i go along and you know it's really important too i think is people season to their liking taste it a lot get a sense of how much salt you put in already do you like it add a little bit more but soups you can kind of tweak as you're going you don't have to measure it all perfectly at you know step c or something like that Right, because you're thinking it's a lot of water or stock. It's gonna be a lot of volume. So ultimately, that all of that, every spoonful that you take, you want there to be flavor in there. So you want to make sure that you're thinking about the amount of seasoning that you're putting in. And I made a note too because you just talked about basically making like garlic oil or herb oils, but we should do a thing on uh, herb vinegars and herb oils and stuff like that. For, oh, so like fun your, and so easy. Yeah, I think that'd be great. So I like making a rust. I call every, like when I don't have a recipe and when a recipe changes all the time and the ingredients change all the time, I just call it rustic vegetable soup. 
And it's exactly what you said is, you know, we saute it. Um, I thought I invented that onion, carrot, and celery, you know, <laughs> thing. But I guess I guess the French beat me to it. Um, create the stock. I will chop up carrots. I will chop up celery. I will even put in green beans, thicker, you know, chops. Let it start getting soft. You just, you, my only, I guess, uh, not really suggestion, tip. I don't know why I lost the word. But my tip is don't boil the heck out of your soup that you just soften and destroy all the vegetable stuff. You know, keep it a nice, you know, slow simmer. Add stuff in slowly um, because if the vegetables are a little bit, it wouldn't be al dente. What would it be? I don't know what it would be. Um, but maybe. Yeah. But a little. You want a little bite to them. Yeah, a little bite to the vegetables. Wonderful. And you can also do it in layers. You could put in carrots and celery earlier, potatoes earlier. If you put in potatoes earlier, they will tend to kind of break down and thicken up the soup. But then you could put in potatoes you know towards the end make sure they cook through to your liking and now you have potato chunks in there there's just so many ways that you can't you can't really go wrong yeah you really can't just think layering yeah you make the layers and worst case scenario you pull out the immersion blender and you make a soup puree (laughs) and you just blend it all into this puree that is just loaded with flavor and i i will do that with um leek and potato soup like i grow lots of leeks and potatoes and I dice up the potatoes. First, I put in the onions, you know, do the sautés we're saying. Add in the stock or the water. Soften the potatoes. And then I puree it down. I puree in some some leeks that will cook heavily. But then I also add leeks towards the end. And it's just absolutely delicious. You know, pureed potato with some leeks in there on a hot day. Put on some cheese or something like that. And you just have a wonderful meal. You said on a hot day? If I said a hot day, I didn't mean that. But <laughs> on a on a cold day, but you know, you know how it is. As uh, my s- friends, they make fun of me about my like the way I seasonally pick what I want to eat. I cannot eat hot foods except grilled foods. Like in the summertime, I do not want mac and cheese, y'all. I don't. I really don't. I want it like now in the fall when it's getting cold. Oh uh, no, I, I actually will eat soup all season. Well. All season long. I mean, I have bean soup in there now. It did get cooler. But I make that vegetable soup all the time. It's just a great way to use all your produce, too. It really is. So we talked about the general principles for kind of building your soup. And again, you can do it so many different ways. What are maybe a couple of your favorite soups to make? Uh, Okay, so you mentioned one of them, which was potato leek. That is just quintessential for me when when the fall hits. I want that. I want, um, mm, I want a, like, okay, corn chowder. Don't play with me. I know it's like corn Mm -hmm. is a summer, but it's a late season crop. So there's still really good corn coming off the fields and in the farmer's markets that I want corn chowder. It's, it's just, I love it. It's sweet with the potatoes, maybe a little bacon. It's just, I love that. And then again, a tomato soup with grilled cheese. I remember many of days as a child being out sledding big hills in the snow, super cold, and then coming in and having a bowl of belly warming tomato soup with a side of grilled cheese. It is just, it is a food story for me and it's in my life forever and I love it. So those would be my third. How about you? Well, you just did a Campbell soup commercial and my great, my. <laughs> My grandfather, who taught me how to garden, actually worked for Campbell Soup. So no way. Yeah. So yeah, 
tomato soup was part of, you know, our life too. So it is wonderful. Um, and that's of course condensed soup and you add water and you, and it tastes really good. I mean, that was like a breakthrough back then. I like, uh, I just made bean soup. I like the leek soup, um, potato and leek soup. Um, I'll make a Italian vegetable soup, which really is, I'll throw maybe some eggplant and tomato into it versus Mm. my standard of, you know, carrots, celery, and some other stuff that I might have around. I just have fun with it. Um, lots of chicken soup. I will grill or, you know, kind of pan grill chicken till it's really crispy and chop it up into pieces. I add that late to the soup. Um, or somewhere in the middle so that it kind of softens a little bit, but that adds a great flavor so you can add meats to it. Um, I just have fun with it. I'll add in different pastas, rice, all kinds of things to kind of build it up, but I make a huge pot, so I'm going to have it for a good week. Um, And then, you know, when that's done, I'm looking to see what else is in the garden, and I'll make something else. Mm, Makes me think about mushroom soups, too, as mushrooms are starting to come on. Well... Mushroom, I'll make a mushroom soup. <laughs> I mean, this could sound good or bad, but when I make clams that I usually get at Costco because they're really reasonable, I will uh, steam clams. I will use the steamed remains for the flavor, and I'll make a clam and mushroom soup with some carrots and celery chopped up and put in there. It's really, really good. Look at you, GP. Okay, GP's getting fancy, y'all. I mean, it, it's just, I mean, it's, it's just delicious. And then Sounds if you want to throw it in there... If you have a lot of onions, I will make a French onion soup too. Lots of oh, butter, yeah. brown the onions. I don't know how. What's the process? We're not sautéing the onions; like we're caramelizing them. You're caramelizing them, yeah. They really need to be soft and ooey gooey. And it's a slow process. I mean, it's on a it's on a lower heat, and it can take a good forty five minutes um, to one not burn the butter, but to really caramelize the onions get all the sugars out and then you know you mix in broth maybe throw in some brandy and then you just have a wonderful soup oh yes so good i just love that like cheesy ooey stretchy yummy from the crouton it just Mm -hmm. (sighs) it's so good i I feel like i have to make french onion soup this week now i'm coming over all right yeah well, well you can certainly have some now let's wrap up soup with we were gonna, and it's hard to do via podcast. If we were gonna encourage somebody to make the first pot of soup, how would we do it? Saute some onions, maybe buy some chicken stock, create your stock that way, and then what would they add to it? Um. Well, first, what is out in the garden that you have an abundance of? Get that in that pot. Okay, vegetable soup. Dun dun dun. dun. Like it's that simple. Um, and then start thinking, layer them in, thinking about, all right, what of these vegetables cook fast and which ones cook slow? The slower ones, get them in there as your second layer so that they have time to soften and cook through. Then you might want to throw in a bay leaf or where are you going? We're going to put in some parsley or maybe some rosemary. Think about what you, what are your herbs out there that you have? What do you want to taste today? It's so personal, but that's also where your creativity and you getting off the script of a recipe and Mm -hmm. into your own mind. And like, what do I want? What what do I feel like tasting? I think maybe we should leave it at that, that maybe instead of encouraging them to make a specific pot of soup, get them to make the first pot of soup, keeping in mind everything you said. What do you like? What herbs do you like? 
Um, I'm always big for journaling. I don't think you have to journal necessarily for cooking, but you want to kind of note the time you put in the different vegetables or when you put something in towards the end. You can even, I usually, if people are making rice or pasta to add to it, I cook that separately, usually in some sort of stock, get that to almost being done, and then right at the end I add it into the soup too. If you add in rice or pasta, when you have a volume of soup, it absorbs a lot of the water and it thickens up. So I do cook that separately. But maybe we'll just end there with, you know, encouraging people to make the first pot of soup, just enjoy the process. And really, once you get started making the soup, you're going to really accelerate on your skill set and you're going to be able to make it all year long. That's a great skill. Three listener questions. I actually have four. Uh, I'll, and I'll give you the first one. How much compost should I put on a bed in the fall or spring? Well, I think that the easiest answer would be, it's not really like the, um, how much it's or it's inches. I think right. I'm thinking about a blanket. So depending on the dimensions of your bed, all that's going to vary, but just making sure that I have a nice thick, I like to be extra and put a nice three to four because it's not only going to serve as a blanket, but it's also a food source to all the microorganisms underneath that are warm and happy coming up looking for that. So um, I just want to make sure that for those three months that we have of the season that there's enough there. So I'd say a good three to four inches of compost. If you can, um, one to two is fine. That's all you got, but I'd start there. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I I really prep my beds, you know, in those gazillion ways that you said there's you know, ways to prep beds. One of the things too, to keep in mind is maybe you don't have a lot of compost and in a bed that I'm planting seeds, I would do what you said, cover the whole bed. You know, maybe I work it into the soil in the spring or something like that where I'm planting transplants, like in a four foot by eight foot bed, maybe I only put in say six tomato plants. I won't put the compost down for that year. I will save it. And I just put it into the planting hole. So if you have limited amounts of compost, you could put, you could do like six piles of it if you want to let it sit there. But I just mix it right into the main growing area, the tomato plant, and sometimes that can you know stretch your compost for you. Yeah, it's a great tip. Uh, are there chemicals in manures that are bad for the garden? What do you think about that? Uh, it's more about the age and the bacteria in the manure that can be bad. So if you're going to use manure, which is a really wonderful, great. Um, soil amendment, you just want to make sure it's been aged over, depending on your state here in Maryland, I want to say it's 120 days, 190 days, depending on the animal. Um, But it just needs a long breakdown time so that all of the bacteria gets, um, you know, composted out and aged out so that it's uh, good for the garden. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, that's a good point too. Like, like goat, manure you can almost use right away they have like four stomach chambers or something and everything gets processed down like horse manure cow manure i don't know if it's a year but i always recommend a year it does really have to break down and you want it to go through the process so that it's it's safe there's also a chance like if you're getting cow manure from fields that are sprayed i don't remember if the chemical is called grazon or something that's used to control weeds sometimes those chemicals can make it through you know, the waste of the, the animal and you can bring it to your garden. Um, and there's a lot of proof that that does happen. There's no way really to know, except I would want to encourage people 
to know where they're getting their manure so they can know if it's been aged three months or six months or one year and also get to know the farmer so you know what they're putting on their on their property you don't need mm-hmm. stamps for everything like we don't need second and third party governments stamping everything for us um i think it's really important to get to know where you're getting your products from it's really important can i turn my soil at the end of the year if it has a lot of clay what would you say I would say that it's a great idea to, I mean, we, we can say turn it. What I kind of do is like I'll take a pitchfork and kind of dig in maybe three, four inches down. I lift or I kind of gently lift to sort of get thinking, think like trying to get some oxygen into that area, just kind of breaking it up a little bit. And then I bomb it with leaves mm-hmm. and kind of mix that together to allow that to break down over time and create a nice, um, you know, frothy earth bed for the following season. Yeah, and you can, you, to answer the question, yes, you can turn it. I would just, you know, maybe put some down, some leaves, flip it over, and then put some more leaves on top. Um, I forget what it's called. Is it called a broad fork? You know? It, yeah, but that's a bit, like farmers, we use them on like the farm because they're like 30 inches wide. Yeah. You can use a pitchfork too. Or if you don't have a pitchfork, you can use like, a shovel just you want you're just trying to like lift up the soil and get some fresh oxygen into that area yeah if you use the the broad fork or you know pitchfork you are putting the tines in six or eight inches deep and you just rock back and you crack the soil and you get air in if you put the shovel in you can just sink it straight down just rock it back and let it fall back in place so you don't technically have to turn it but i just wanted to stress that because that is a really good point you made is that you can just loosen it that way. And all that good stuff and water will kind of flow into there and mm-hmm. stuff moves in. And you just do that, you know, at the fall. You do it in the fall. You can do it in the spring. And you just keep doing that. Eventually, you get great soil. Again, I want to stress, you don't have to spend a fortune to make the perfect pH balanced, NP and K balanced fertilizer to grow food. They grow in such a wide range. You just have to have a plan to keep, you know, adding organic matter. And the last question is, should I throw out my container soil at the end of the season? And you want to believe how many people ask that question and actually think they have to throw it out. So the answer is no, you don't. Um, I use my container soil in the container really for a good three years. And then I dump it onto a tarp with all the other container soil that I've used. I add in some peat moss. I add in some compost. I throw in some organic granular fertilizer. I fluff it all together. And then I end up with almost twice as much container soil, put it back into the containers. I will take the excess, put it into my raised beds or my earth beds, um, or I'll buy more containers. So you never have to throw soil away. I agree. I mean, in the event that say you had like a really bad uh, diseased uh, plant in that container, I might take that and discard it just because I'm like, I don't want that ever coming back. But I mean, it might, but at least I try. Uh, and so that's the only time I ever really redo a whole fresh pot of container soil. It is very much just reamending and kind of keeping that cycle going. You just build better and better soil. And I would, I, I would agree with you. If, if you get a disease or a soil-borne uh, pest that's out of the ordinary and not common to your area, it's a good idea to get rid of it. And we'll do a podcast on pests and disease and how to manage them. But if you have something that just shows up every year in Maryland, 
powdery mildew, early blight, leaf spot, cucumber beetles, um, cabbage worms. You don't have to fear that and you don't have to toss your soil out. There should be a really good reason to do that. So I want to talk a little bit about my social media. You can find me under the Rusted Garden on Instagram. You can find me on YouTube. I have about 1,500 plus gardening videos. Uh, just look up the Rusted Garden. I have Facebook groups. The one that's most active um, that my brother helps me moderate is the Rusted Garden Homestead. Um, and then I have this podcast, which I'm having a wonderful time doing. How can people find you or what is your social media? Wow, I mean, you got me pegged, GPU, all over the social world, which is awesome. But I have a little bit. I have a, a website, adijagirl.com, and I'm also building some presence on Instagram. Uh, GP is helping me, which has been great. Uh, but I'm at adijagirl, E-D-E-S-I-A-G-U-R-L. And I'll put all of that into the um, podcast description, too. And slow and steady not, not only builds the garden, but it will build your social media presence. So anybody that's getting started, don't be discouraged. Uh, just keep creating content. Have fun with it. And, you know, your presence will grow. So this, another part of the uh, podcast is health and wellness and garden inspiration. And what I wanted to add is that fall is a great time to kind of really reflect on your success in the garden. Keep the things that went well, toss the things that didn't, certainly take time to learn how to do things better. But generally speaking, we tend to focus too much on the failures and the non-successes in the garden and in life too. And unless you kind of force it to the front of your head and say, wow, I grew 100 pounds of potatoes, 70 pounds of tomatoes, peppers struggled, but I gave plenty away. Unless you give yourself credit to enjoy your success, you're always going to be worried about the mistakes that you made. Do you have any tips or anything for new gardeners? I think that's awesome. So well said, GP. Um, I think I would encourage you also to think about, am I the same person when I started this garden experience that I am now? Because of course, when we're in our gardens, it's a lot of times when we're just like, thinking and in our minds and really processing things and it's often we feel so good after being in the garden that I wonder am I am I a little bit happier <laughs> here now that I'm a gardener or just you know just kind of thinking in that terms it definitely affects me in that way and definitely in fall as we do come into like more reflection as the light changes and it gets darker sooner so it, it really is a full circle, holistic. It's not just, you know, the physical part of gardening that's so great, but it is the, the wellness and the, um, you know, the, I guess the spirit that we kind of cultivate as we go through the process of being one. Well, I think it's engaging the earth, engaging nature, um, knowing your effort kind of sculpted the garden and you get to see what comes of that. And I think both of those pieces that we spoke about kind of go together is that if you don't reflect on what you're enjoying and what you're doing, then it can't really change you. But if you kind of let it in, your, your spirit does get picked up and you do feel better. And it's a great way to really, I think, reduce stress. Yeah. Pests spray, pest of the day, 
Um, actually, I should have read that as plant spray and pests of the day. Another section we have that is probably more relevant as it gets warmer, but I wanted to stress the snails and slugs that I talked about in the last podcast. Fall's also a great time to get your slug baits, your snail baits. They usually have iron phosphate or sulfur in there. They are much safer for animals and wildlife, but you want to sprinkle that out. It's just scattered everywhere. That will really start to kill them, and you're going to have less snails and slugs come the spring. So if that is a problem, you start treating it now in the fall. They're going to eat it. They're going to die off. They're not going to lay eggs everywhere. They're not going to be hanging out in the earth or under your seed containers that you forgot to put away as a garden chore, and you will have less of them come next year. It's definitely imperative if you are, if you do have a fall garden and you're growing brassicas, your cabbage, your broccoli, your kales, snails and slugs love to eat it up. So um, make sure you have that down in your gardens as you're growing those crops this season. And I think on that too, if you have tarps and boards and maybe you're collecting cardboard for use in the garden, um, you really want to disturb that. Maybe you can't get rid of it because you need to keep it there. But you want to move it around because moles and voles and mice will love to live under your tarp that maybe you have over your compost pile. Or maybe you're covering beds to help speed up the decomposition process of leaves. You don't have to get rid of it all, but you do want to disturb it. You want to just let the animals know that somebody comes in and visits it. This way they don't set up shop in there and then show up in the spring. You know, they say you can't live here, but you've got to get the... Out of here. <laughs> move along, right? Move <laughs> move somewhere else. So let's start wrapping up with what do I do to my earth beds before maybe I put them to sleep for winter, all the stuff that we've been talking about. If you have like a bed for transplants where you're growing tomatoes, you're growing peppers, uh, maybe you've been growing squash and zucchini, you don't have to rip out all the roots. I cut everything right to soil level. So I just cut off the stem remove the tomato plants, leave the roots in the ground. I know that I'm going to come back next year, kind of work the planting hole, put the transplants in. The roots create air, they decay, they give back. And you just don't have to, again, you have a plan. If you're not planting seeds and stuff in there, you don't really need loosened soil. So have a plan. If you don't need to pull out a plant, just cut it off at the earth level, leave the roots in there covered up with all the goodness that we've been talking about and then you'll be ready for the spring it, it it's great i mean if you think about it those roots are still feeding the microorganisms in the soil so they it's a food source for them um we didn't touch on it but i also like i did do a cover crop in a few of my beds last season and that was nice it's nice to have something growing in the soil if you can that's why I hint, hint, say grow garlic. <laughs> um, but if you know, if you if you don't, then at least, like you said, cut them down to the soil line so that those roots are still there and still be able to be a food source. And for container soil in Maryland, again, we get just for people that don't live here, we'll get winters where the ground freezes, the containers freeze. I do leave my containers out. I don't do much to the container soil if I'm growing garlic in a container, if I'm uh, growing strawberries or they have perennial herbs, I just give them a big drink of any water-soluble fertilizer, and then I just leave them out for the rest of the winter. When everything kind of thaws in the spring, 
I hit him again with the water-soluble fertilizer. We'll be talking about that in future podcasts. So there's nothing fancy that you really have to do with the container soil. And there's no exact way to put your beds to sleep. The whole key, and I guess I'll stress one more time, is it's the addition of, of organic matter that changes your garden. It makes plants grow better. They are healthier. It makes all the difference. Putting down organic granular fertilizer, yeah, sure, it gives it N, P, and K. Fish emulsion, water-soluble does the same thing. But those things are not the same thing as organic matter. So if you can collect uh, lawn trimmings, leaves, have some compost going, buy some bag stuff, really try and get the organic matter down on your beds. And I think you'll be a lot happier come planting time for the spring. What would you recommend, Erica, for growing next year if you had to pick a handful of plants just for soups? Well, if we wanted to be very conventional with the French way of cooking uh, soup, we'd go with some celery, some carrots, onions, garlic, 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 garlic. <laughs> and garlic. <laughs> and garlic. I, I, yeah, and then like cabbage, you know? You know, what do we want to have in our soups? Cabbage. Um, but I think those those aromatics, having herbs already um, established in your gardens is a really great way to just have those fresh uh, available flavors to you whenever you want them well you said garlic but did you say onions yeah oh you did i I missed it then i would go with onions onions and onions too because they just bring so much flavor to the soups but you can really have fun with it so again i do hope people you know give it a try so we will be talking about all these plants that you talked about in future podcasts I want to thank everybody for listening. Check out today's podcast description for links to everything that we talked about for our social media. Anything you want to add before we sign off? Well, it's officially fall. So happy fall, y'all. And have wonderful times with your family and friends. And really be intentional about what you're eating this fall and make sure that Not only is it nourishing to your body, but it's nourishing to your soul. I would agree with that. Thanks for listening. Good luck in your gardens. And both of us say, start small, get in the dirt, make mistakes, but just learn, enjoy, and most of all, enjoy your journey. Cheers, and thanks for listening.